this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. Well, welcome. This looks like episode number 10, I think, in our little series. And I apologize for my absence over a while, recovering from the uh, disease du jour, as you know. So I wanted to talk today about an article that came out in June, and I really wanted to do this before today. But the article was published in the, in the Journal of Developmental Psychology, the American Psychological Association, and it was June of this year. And the article, the title of the article is Developmental Psychology and the Scientific Status of Parental Alienation. The authors really, I mean, these are the, the founders and, and the, the main people in this whole genre, Jennifer Harmon, Richard Warshock. Uh, Demos Lorendos, and then Matthew J. Florin. And um, it, it's, a, it's an, a great review of the literature in parental alienation. And one of the things that's really interesting is they talked about nearly 40% of the PA literature, PA, parental alienation literature, has been published since 2016. So what we find out is that Many times when we either do evaluations, we do uh, expert testimony, there are a number of people that are in the shadows. I call them deniers, but they basically want to come in and they want to distract the court and say to the court that basically, you know, this is a, a pseudoscience. It doesn't really exist. The phenomenon of parental alienation is a figment of some crazy psychiatrist called Richard Gardner and really shouldn't pay any attention to it. And the reason is because there are no double-blind studies where there were randomized assignments of subjects. And that's the only way you can have science. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. And so, therefore, we have no research to support, let's say, from the reunification arena. You know, we talk about family bridges or turning points for families. There's no research to support that, you know, these programs are effective. And, in fact, they probably hurt children a whole lot. I've heard that. Actually, I had somebody... In court once tell me, isn't it true that in Family Bridges, there's four psychologists hold the kid down on the ground and they yell at him that saying that your parents are lying to you, your mother's lying to you, or your father's lying to you. And admit that. And I said, no, that really doesn't happen. And anybody who's got a half a brain would realize that that kind of approach really wouldn't work, even if there were people doing that kind of stuff. Anyhow, the detractors are out there. They're multiplying, apparently, and they're very, uh, very present in many, many cases. But one of the things that I found fascinating about this article, and it's, it's, it's a very substantial article, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing today. Obviously, I can't. But one of the things they talked about was not only in terms of the research being very contemporary, but it's a robust field. They've been, they looked at over 213 documents with empirical research that supports the scientific basis of parental alienation, frankly, beyond question. So one of the things that they talked about was an interesting piece in terms of the relationship between parents and how that 
basically can uh, affect uh, the, the psychological state of the child and their, their psychological development. So it's the, the conflict between two parents can really have a negative effect on children as, as they're experiencing this whole phenomenon. And it's not just, you know, going into parental alienation. We're talking about conflict with parents who are, are going through a divorce or, or significant others who are, you know, breaking up a relationship. And so the conflict really impairs a child's relationship with their parents, so it's, it's a parent-child relationship issue, as Dr. Burnett obviously talked about at one point. And it leaves children much more vulnerable to affective, behavioral, and cognitive problems. And uh, basically, their work was basically looking at factors and processes that mediate these, uh, these connections with children. So the conflict between parents actually forms a, a triangulation, if you will, uh, between uh, the children and their parents. And at some point, it leads to a, a real change in the child's relationship. They try and stay out of the conflict, which we know is what normal children try and do. And so there's a, um, basically they're looking at feeling caught in the middle. They're, they're stuck, and they don't know how to get out of it. So at some point in time, they start to gravitate towards one of the parents, more, in my opinion, more in terms of a, a survival mechanism. And so the whole issue of a, a parent conflict involves the, the children in, in multi-forms of parental conflict that range from severity, from, from mild to abusive to violent, and this conflict has been linked to internalizing and externalizing symptoms in children. And we'll see that on the assessments that we give children who are going through this whole process. When, when, chil- when parents draw children into their disputes, the child experiences an internal loyalty conflict. And they don't know which parent they need to uh, associate with or love. They want to love both parents. And I don't say they want to love both parents. They continue to love both parents. But I think at some basic survival level, they have to make a choice. And sometimes they make the choice towards the, a favored parent, and that's where we get the language from in our work. Children will seek to uh, maintain a relationship with both parents, but it gets to be very difficult for them because they find themselves getting more polarized, and sometimes it's encouraged by a parent. And, of course, that's the whole phenomenon of parental alienation, where one parent capitalizes on the situation to have the child draw over to their side of the argument. The thing that the research these people found out was that when parents engage in parental alienating behaviors, and remember we talk about the 17 strategies that uh, Amy Baker identified a while back, when parents engage in those 17 strategies to uh, basically denigrate to ultimately the goal, of course, is to eliminate a parent from the child's life. When they engage in that kind of behavior, this really has an, an altering effect on the children's thoughts, their feelings about the other parent. So it becomes very significant that it promotes negative themes, if you will, that uh, focus on the other parent the targeted parent, and they start to exaggerate or create imagined deficiencies and wrongdoings. 
this happens. The detractors want to say, well, this doesn't really have an effect on children. So it's okay for parents to badmouth, to interfere with communication, to interfere with time sharing. That's okay to do because it really we don't have any controlled studies to show that this is harmful to children. The article goes on to talk about how the parent alienating behaviors increase the child's vulnerability to forming a cross-generational coalition. And, and it's thought to mediate the path between destructive interparental conflict and children's negativity towards the rejected parent. The uh, parental alienating behaviors result in the child developing negative thoughts, feelings, and behavior towards the rejected parent. And that's what we see in terms of per what parental alienation is. They cited research that showed that... Um, <clears throat> Me, they, they, they demonstrated some mediating variables in families with triangulation, uh, triangulation, such as children worrying that they become involved in conflicts, dreading harm to a parent, fearing a parent's abandonment, and worrying about the stability of the relationship with their parents. Children who align with one parent against the other parent appear to welcome being involved in parental disputes. Now note that this is a change because normally children don't want to get involved in the middle and they don't participate. Alienated children do participate. They ultimately wish harm on the parent, or at least they verbalize that they wish harm on the other parent whom they're rejecting. And rather than fear the parent's abandonment, and the stability of their relationship with the rejected parent, alienated children want to end contact with that parent. So according to Dr. Harmon, Jennifer Harmon, that despite a growing body of literature on children suffering parental alienation and on the parental alienating behaviors that influence children to form unhealthy alliances with one parent against the other, there's a small but vocal group, and I'm suggesting that maybe it's getting larger, a small but vocal group of critics challenging the validity of parental alienation concepts. And despite the literature that we see, despite the common sense, think about this. There are people that are arguing that parental alienation hasn't been proven to be harmful to children. Now, think about that for a second. In other words, there are professionals out in the world that are saying that it's okay for children to be alienated from another parent to because the alienation is somehow justified. In other words, instead of it being alienation, it's called estrangement, that somehow the targeted and rejected parent deserves to be rejected. Now, think about that because it's contrary to literature that we know in terms of children who have actually been abused who want to maintain a relationship with their perpetrator of the abuse or their negative or neglectful home they want to stay with those people they don't want to be taken away from them so that's contrary to the way an alienated child behaves the article covered a the robust uh, literature and, and methodology that, that really showed strong experimental research on children's suggestibility and how they can be induced to form false memories. There's a very robust history on, on that, and I think we even talked about that in one of the earlier uh, episodes, that uh, adults, investigators, law enforcement, mental health professionals can actually induce false memories by their suggestive questionings. 
And there's a, a very strong research on memory and, and false memory generation that demonstrates this whole problem. There, uh, and we find that these children can actually elaborate in great detail events that have never occurred. Dr. Stephen Cece did a study, and he, he called it the Sam Stone Study. And, of course, you know, there are people who argue that, you know, there's all kinds of methodological errors with it. But the bottom line was they had this character that showed up in a classroom, and all this guy did was come in, stand in, by the door, look at the class, and then walk out. And through a process of questioning, they got children to elaborate that this guy did all kinds of things, tearing up books. He really had temper tantrums. He did all kinds of things that these kids elaborated on as they continued to get questioned. And so one can see how children can make up things about a targeted parent which are untrue and has been generated either through questioning or suggestion either by the favored parent or people who got involved in it. And we talk sometimes in terms of how mental health professionals sometimes get pulled into the story. They become advocates for the, the favored parent or the alienating parent, and they do it unwittingly because they, they're well-intentioned in terms of trying to help children and protect children. But unfortunately, it, it starts to backfire big time, and, and they're still not aware of it. Well, I just wanted to bring this article to your attention. Highly recommend it if you can get your hands on it. It's in the Developmental Psychology. It's a journal published by the American Psychological Association, and it uh, was published in June of 2022. So I think it's really important document for your, if you're a, a parent listening to this, sh get this article in the hands of mental health people that you're working with, get the article in the hands of um, your attorney. And if for some reason you can't get a hold of it, uh, have your attorney or your mental health professional give me a call. I'll be happy to share it with them and send them a copy of it because I think it's a key document in terms of how robust the literature is on parental alienation to really kind of put away the argument that, you know, there's not much to this concept and courts should be ignoring it because they shouldn't be and they need more education. Attorneys need more education. Mental health people need more education on this process. So again, I thank you. Sorry I've been out for so long, but it's good to be back and hopefully I can uh, start to do some more of these uh, podcasts uh, with a little more frequency than I have been. You take care. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm -hmm.